we're now going to welcome somebody who's going to tell us a bit about how businesses like yours have weathered the storm over the last two years, which I know has been really tricky indeed, and obviously something I've been writing about a lot at the Times. He'll also be giving us some insight into how businesses have adapted their business models during this period. Of course, he's at Starling Bank, which was started in 2014 by the formidable Anne Bowden, I'm sure many of you know her, absolute heroine of the fintech world. So welcome Adnan Ahmed, Head of Strategy at Starling Bank. Adnan, please join me. Thank you. Great thank to you. meet you. The stage you. is yours. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Hannah. Um, and thank you everyone for coming here today. It's a real honour to be here. Um, as you all already know, SMEs are the lifeblood of the UK economy, and I don't just say that as a platitude. Um, for me, in an environment of increasing uncertainty, SMEs have provided a bright spark of hope. Um, the number of new best SMEs um, during COVID grew by 14%, ahead of the global average of 6% across the well, globally, uh, and you make up 61% of employment in the UK. Um, and having joined Starling when it was an SME, so when I joined in 2018, it was sub 200 people. Um, and now having grown into 1,800 people and as a unicorn, I'm hoping I can share some of the learnings that I've, I've gathered over that time period, especially when it comes to business model innovation and um, lightly touching upon how we've then also raised capital. Um, just a quick exercise for people in the room before I dive into it. Can I get a hands raised for if you've heard of Starling beyond today? <laughs> okay, so for everyone watching at home, in case you can't see the hands raised, Good news, most people in the room raise their hands, so it makes my next section pretty easy, which is just a quick background to Starling. Um, so as you know, Starling is a regulated bank um, offering current accounts and multi-current accounts to retail and SME customers. And we are specifically focused on offering innovative products which are, um, which are rich in features and make your banking easier. Um, so, sorry, I'm just getting used to this clicker. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the first slide I've put up there really is the background. I'm not, I'm not going to read you through that. Um, but what I do want to touch upon while, while you're looking at that slide is, why was Starling a good idea? Um, and when we thought about, or when Anne thought about Starling, what she thought was, we need a business which is completely customer-centric and focus relentlessly on the customer. And traditional banks didn't do that. Um, for example, as many of you probably know, if you don't bank with Starling, and I'm not going to name and shame anyone, um, is that it can take weeks or de days or weeks to open a current account, whereas with Starling, it's a lot quicker. Um, and the second thing we realized was you could do that considerably cheaper than traditional banks. So we could run a lean operating model which didn't have the cost associated with the brick and mortar branches or the legacy technology because we were mobile first, we built our technology from scratch, and that meant we could deliver even better services at a lower cost while creating a sustainable business model. Um, and the fact that we did that, the numbers speak for themselves. Our customers trust us. We have over 7% share of the UK SME market. Customers trust us with their hard-earned cash. We have 8.4 billion of deposits. And customers love us as voted for by, you know, we've been the best British retail bank and the best business bank for multi-years in a row. Um, and for me, that is the proof point of our business model and how we've disrupted the industry. Um, 
so now that I've finished talking about Starling and, and the reason why I spent so long self-plugging um, is because I think we are a great case study for what I'm going to talk about today. Um, and talk about business model innovation, what is the point? And this is one of my favorite case studies, and it, I always refer to it, because, and I'm sure many of you know. Let's focus on Blockbuster and think about why Blockbuster didn't, well, no longer is trading. Um, they have a really expensive operating model, right? So they were focused on brick and mortar stores, which were specific to different towns. Um, they weren't focused on the customer. Um, they charged late fees, there was no grace fees, and there was wait lists for the latest released VHSs. Um, I must say, I, I barely have ever used a VHS, I'm more DVD, but it's, uh, I still remember them. <laughs> um, so, not customer focused. And finally, they were slow to respond to change. They didn't recognize the fact that people like Netflix or moving online would end up um, impacting their own business model. They doubled down on what they believed, and that's what they decided to do. Then Netflix came along, and they reimagined that entire business model. You don't need expensive stores in, in every single town. You have a single warehouse, and that has all your videos. So that's first thing, right? They reimagined the business model. It was cheaper. It was leaner. But the thing that, they, that changed all of this was the focus on customer convenience. So they focused on the fact that customers wanted a video and they wanted, or a DVD or whatever they were renting. They wanted that straight away. They didn't want to wait. So leveraging postal services, making sure customers got that quickly. Um, but also not punishing customers for returning something late. Life happens. And there was a grace period and people weren't charged um, late fees. But finally what they did really well is that they didn't stop there. They saw the fact that VHS was going to be phased out, DVDs were going to be phased out, and with the rise of you know, broadband and the speed of the internet, people were going to be able to stream online, and that's eventually what they did. Um, and so what is the point of all of that? I've just talked about you know, business models in terms of the cost base. I've talked about um, the focus on the customer. Well, the point, quite simply, is that one of them no longer trades, and one of them is worth more than $150 billion. And I think that sums that up nicely as to why you need to innovate your business models. Um, and, we see, and we see this in other industries. I'm not going to talk for any names, but all of these are household names now. And you've seen innovation happen through from how you order your mattress, how you, uh, how you holiday, and then finally how you even order food or take, get a taxi. Um, but we've talked a lot about business model innovation and it being organic or driven by changing consumer demand. But let's talk about COVID, because that, in my opinion, is one of the biggest drivers of business model innovation in, our, in, in the last 10 years. Um, so a lot of SMEs were impacted by COVID. I mean, it goes without saying, and I imagine many of you in the room here saw a reduction in revenue. So there's some data from uh, McKinsey, which suggested that 80% of SMEs had an impact on revenue. Um, and there is an increasing desire to change. So we've done some research, and we know that two in five um, are changing their business lines to adapt. And, a further s and KPMG uh, did some research which suggested that 70% have accelerated digital transformation. And just look at it as a food industry, right? From McDonald's to Michelin-style restaurants, everyone started, you started getting inundated with uh, food delivery options or prepare it, prepare it at home yourself. Um, 
Now, I want to, I wanted to use, I spoke about Starling at the beginning, I want to use the lessons that I've learned from Starling and hopefully contextualize this all for you. Um, but with that Starling, how do we respond to COVID-19? Well, we were ready from day one. Um, we had the right organizational structure in place to support us to go to fully remote working, so everyone worked from their laptop. Um, we had the right governance in place and support in place for our staff to make decisions quickly and easily and to approve releases to the app. Um, but we were also really focused on the customer and their needs. Um, we released products in days, so we, we were one of the only banks in the UK to launch Bibbles Lending as quickly as we did, but at the same time accept new SME customers. Um, and, we, and we also launched products which were helpful to our customers. So we also launched something called the Connected Card. And that was for, initially for people who were isolating or vulnerable, and they needed someone to go spend for them. But this, what was exciting about this product, and why I'm saying we focus so much on the customer, is this isn't giving someone your card and giving them your PIN to go spend as they want. You could create a specific space which, was, um, which had a specific amount of money that you put into it. It was a separate card with its own PIN. So there was no risk to your own funds. And that is a type of focus and customer, which is how Starling responded to COVID. But what is business model innovation, really? So, you know, there's a lot of jargon and there's a lot of um, material out there. And I think quite often it gets lost in consultant speak. Apologies to any consultants watching or in the crowd. Um, as a former consultant, I think I can say that, by the way. Um, so, for me, it means you're adjusting to changes in consumer demand to deliver value in the most cost-effective way. That is, for me, what business model innovation is. And what I've got up on the screen is essentially the three areas that I've carved up. Um, so you are a, you're, better, you're trying to better serve your customers, figure out, figuring out where you play along the value chain, regardless, and I think that's industry agnostic. Um, you have to do it in a cost-effective way. So there's no point doing something innovative if it's going to cost you more than you can make from it. I think that's pretty obvious, and I think everyone in this room knows that. Um, and finally, and I think this is the most interesting one, and one that perhaps is overlooked, you need the organizational structure and support to deliver that innovation and to maintain your cost base. Um, so then thinking about how do you execute. Now, after disparaging consultants, I actually really like this from BCG, um, so I borrowed it from them. Um, and it's a really wide-ranging um, topic when it comes to business model innovation, right? You're talking about your product, your core product, the innovation. You're thinking about your, how, how do you cut costs or how do you do it in a cost-efficient manner? And finally, how do you change your organizational culture and um, structures? And I think the best way to summarize, it depends on where you are going to play. And that's heavily linked to where you are in your growth cycle. So there's four boxes on there. I'm just going to quickly run through very high level what they are. Um, so for me, the first one in the top left-hand corner, reinventors, that's someone who has a core proposition. And they're going to reinvent that core proposition, but also then align their business model to deliver, deliver that profitably. You then have adapters. So adapters are people that are exploring adjacent businesses or markets, and they may even exit their core market because they realize that demand isn't there. So linking that back to what we just spoke about, Blockbuster should have done that. Blockbuster should have exited the VHS market and gone into DVD and eventually streaming. Um, 
you have Mavericks, and this is probably one of my favorite uh, approaches to innovation, and it's you employing your core advantage, you're scaling, scaling that, you're doubling down on that, making sure it's a scalable business model, um, and you set, new, new, uh, you set new standards for your business and your industry. And finally, you have adventurers, uh, which is also uh, one of my uh, favorite approaches, which is you aggressively expand into other markets, but you leverage your core capability. So if you're really good at something, and you can leverage it to go into something else. So Starling is a great example. We're really, really good at raising deposits. We're really good at providing customers with what they need to bank. Um, but there are other areas that we can then leverage that capability, for example, in lending, to expand into that space and generate further, um, further profit. Um, but I want to contextualize that a bit further, and I'm not going to do it for all four, but I, if you look at the horizontals, you have people that transform the core. So how do you do that? Now, going back to the food industry, a lot of businesses did leverage, uh, sorry, transform the core. So previously, you'd have, let's talk about McDonald's, right? You couldn't order McDonald's online. Um, and you'd have to go into store, and they probably didn't want to deliver food online, right? Because it would have been expensive to hire the drivers, to um, you know, actually build up the logistical side of that. But what they did do is they decided actually there's a lot of businesses that almost componentize different parts of the value chain. So Deliveroo, for example, they could leverage that to get to customers when they couldn't during COVID. And then moving on into expanding into non-core, um, there's several ways you can do that. One is M&A. So thinking about where your capabilities are not quite right and who can you purchase or merge with to supplement your own capability. And I think this is quite important because you should always focus on what you're doing, uh, what you're good at and doing that really, really well. Because that's the key part of your business, right? This is what you're good at and this is why you're making a living out of it and you're changing, um, uh, you're changing your industry. Um, but there's also strategic partnerships. You don't necessarily have to go and buy the capability, but yeah. sometimes there's someone else who can help you deliver a product or deliver a capability which leverages your own capabilities. But innovation is a constant process. You can't just stop once you've cracked one problem. Um, I don't have the answers to the things on the page, but you've probably ever all heard of this stuff. And the big questions you have are, how do you play in the metaverse? If you're a food company, how do you feed people in a virtual world? Um, do you launch an NFT or not? And finally, Sorry. how do you how do you leverage your ESG credentials, or how do you transform your business such that you're compliant with a with a consumer base which is increasingly focused on ESG? So business model innovation is crucial to your growth, but your approach to this will also underpin your capital raising activity. And I've put up a slide now just talking, just hopefully illustrating what Starling has done today and how much, how we've gone through that. Um, I'll, I'll let you read the timetable, but just to give you an overview of that, it wasn't easy by any means. Anne started off with a deck and an idea, and that's what she went to investors with. Uh, and there were a lot of no's and false starts. People just didn't believe a 50-something-year-old woman could go start a bank and how long they were. We raised 48 million from Harry McPike, and we're now a unicorn. But I think what's useful for everyone in the room and everyone watching online is what lessons have been learned from that. 
really struggle with and in the previous in the uh, fundraising okay. we've completed since then we realized there are three th key things you need to craft a really strong equity story you have to have proof points to evidence that growth and remember equity investors are blue sky thinkers right. so if you have even a slight evidence point to show that your equity story is working that so is enough and finally, you have to demonstrate that your, the market you're targeting, your target addressable market, is growing. Okay. Um, but it's also important then to think about your pros and cons of different type of financing. Um, with equity financing, with when you raise equity, obviously you don't have to pay it back unless you're profitable and you're paying through dividends. But the processing is incredibly time consuming. On the flip side, debt lets you keep control of your company, you're not diluted in your shares, um, but you need to evidence cash flows. Ultimately, it depends on where you are in your growth, growth uh, your business life cycle. Um, I did a video on this, so if anyone wants to watch it, please Google uh, Starling Business Classes. Um, there's a few useful pointers if you are interested and you want to learn more. Um, and now I'm going to go back to shamelessly self-plugging Starling. Um, we have built an incredible product. Uh, we serve retail customers, as I mentioned earlier. Um, we focus specifically on um, products that are helpful. But moving on to the business side, which is more relevant for everyone in this room, um, we don't charge for our accounts. We have, a, we have a toolkit which helps you with managing your invoices, um, managing your tax and bills from your account. And we have multi-currency accounts. And more crucially, we're open 24-7. Slight, slight aside, we, we really believe in what we're doing. And we've built a great product and great technology to underpin that. And we also have launched Starling as a service, which will hopefully power banks globally to create and replicate what Starling have done for, for their retail and SME customers. I hope that's been insightful, um, and if you have any questions, I'm very excited to hear them. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, that was really interesting. Um, thanks for making us feel very old with the Blockbuster reference. We already had one Blockbuster reference today. And um, the fact that you mentioned that you barely know what a VHS is, it makes me feel practically ancient. So thank I, I you very much. I remember the Toy Story VHS. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't make me feel much again, better, but thank you, Adam. Um, so uh, another mention of the metaverse there. I just wonder, I don't know if it's just me, I'd, I don't know if I care that much about the metaverse yet. For all of you who have businesses in the room, is it actually relevant? Do you think it's going to be relevant to your business in the future by a show of hands? Metaverse, are we there yet? Not quite, not quite. Just a few. Okay, maybe next year we'll see if the conversation has moved forward. So, Adnan, what I want to hear from you is, firstly, what's Anne like as a boss? Because as a journalist, I love her. She's great. She's really forthright, which is just what you want as a journalist, right? Yeah. Somebody who's going to speak their mind. Tell me, what's her leadership style like at Starling? Um, Anne is probably one of the most inspiring people I've ever come across. How much um, did she pay you to say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, as my boss. Um, but no, she's, she's an incredible uh, leader. She's... Um, I mean, just a bit of background, Anne, Anne came from a small place in, in Wales. She was, um, I think her father was, uh, worked in um, the steel industry and her mother worked at a shop. And for me, it's a social mobility case study, right? Anne's now started her own bank and I find that resonates with me and I think a lot of other people who may not come from privilege. 
Um, but Anne has a certain way of thinking. Um, I, I always find that she, she listens to what you're saying. So when I joined P, uh, Starling, I was barely out of uni in two years. Um, and I remember being in a room with a whole bunch of the executive and I was asked my opinion by Anne. And from that point onwards, I realized two things. One, you should always have an opinion on something because you could otherwise end up in hot water. And two, it's, the, it's her openness to new ideas and, and new ways of doing things and taking ideas from different places. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting how culture is so often set from the top, isn't it? And by yes. having somebody like Anne in that position, I think fintech, I mean, I'm going to seem like I'm obsessed with this, but this bro culture of fintech, it absolutely stinks. Oh, so the fact that you've got Anne at the helm of your organization, I think makes it feel like you're immune to that. You're not going to yes. go down the tech bro route. <laughs> Definitely so not. pleased to hear that. Um, so how do you create a culture of innovation? Because obviously it's kind of in your DNA. From the very beginning, you're about being innovative and you know sticking it mm -hmm. to the banks. So for the guys in the room, guys and girls, uh, inclusive here, um, you know, if that wasn't you know your reason for being in the in the first case, how how can you come to do that later? Any tips? Yeah, I would say it's, uh, I think cultural and organizational change is really important. You need to bring everyone on the journey with you. It can't just come from the top where you do it yourself. And we talked about some of the four approaches to um, model innovation. And you could see on the left-hand side, that was people having to respond and defend to industry change. Um, I think in order to get innovation in, inside a business, you need to think about actually who can take responsibility. People need to be able to make decisions. And you need to have a, you have to get rid of the culture, uh, rid of a culture of fear and sort of um, delegation. People need to make decisions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, tell us a bit about the scale of Starling now. So internally, how many of you are there? Eighteen hundred. Wow, gosh, yeah. that's big, isn't it? So, and how do you make sure that you maintain that culture, the kind of stuff that makes you scrappy and cool and innovative to start yeah. with? And as you scale, you don't just become another fusty old bank, sorry if there's any bankers <laughs> in the room. Um, so uh, this is, I'm going to use our engineering team as a case study. Um, so in traditional banks, you have a lot of engineers who start and they don't get to make any decisions. They don't really get to own anything. And any innovation takes months, if not years. Um, at Starling, we give engineers uh, responsibility from day one. They're already writing code live into production. Obviously, that's approved. There's governance around that. But that level of responsibility and ownership that you give your employees really maintains that culture of innovation. Mm -hmm. And what about hiring? So obviously, you've got the, the people at the top, people in yeah. the leadership roles, people in, uh, in roles like yeah. yours. Um, and then as you hire people into Starling, is it sometimes good to kind of extend your remit, not look for the traditional people from kind of banking backgrounds? But so Saul Klein was at the Times uh, Tech Summit back in November, and he was saying about hiring arts graduates and actually hiring arts graduates into tech roles, which isn't something that people would ordinarily think of. Yeah. Do you think, you know, to use, a, a, for want of a better expression, think outside the box a bit when it comes to hiring? Yeah, I think so. I think you run a risk off groupthink, right? So if you're just hiring ex-bankers or accountants. People are going to think the same way because they've all been trained and molded in that certain way. So sometimes taking a risk on someone who is, uh, you know, maybe not from the right background, but demonstrates raw intelligence. Because uh, without, you know, business isn't hard. It's hard, but what you're doing is not hard because if it was hard, you customers wouldn't get what you're offering. So if you have someone that's smart and intelligent and can solve problems, I think that's the type of person you need to go for and actually background I, I would even dare to say university doesn't matter. It's about actually, is this person raw intelligence and are they smart? 
Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Does university matter? Can we have a show of hands in the room who went to university? Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you for clarifying. Um, and what about apprenticeships? Because I think there's been so much focus on university education. Quite rightfully, we have the apprenticeship levy that are, let's say, mixed opinions about whether or not that works in practice for small businesses and scale-ups. But have you got any apprentices in Starling? Um, I think we do. I'm not too close to it, so I can't answer but with, with confidence. But I think apprenticeships in general are a great um, source of talent. Mm -hmm. I think actually if you get a good apprentice, sometimes that's braver than getting a graduate because they've taken the risk earlier on. Um, and actually then they have real business experience beyond three years of study. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all like that. There's a lot of knowing laughs around the room uh, to that point. So um, how, how do you see things progressing with your time with Starling? What's your kind of focus for the next five years? So you flashed up some very exciting technologies. Um, yeah. Didn't go into any great detail, but kind of where, where are you putting your money, as it were? <laughs> uh, well, to answer that question explicitly, I bank with Starling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but You've had enough plugs, my friends. Yeah, answer yeah. the question. Apologies. Um, <laughs> I think, so where Stein's going next and what's exciting about, oh, sorry, I'm going to plug again, um, <laughs> is that we are constantly innovating, right? So you're getting a product which is not going to stay still. It's going to get better. We're going to innovate and make your lives easier. There was a study we did uh, last year saying SMEs spend almost 20% of their time on financial admin. Now, bank shouldn't take up a huge, your bank shouldn't take up a huge portion of that at all. And if anything, we should make it as easy as possible for you to do business without worrying about your bank. Um, so that's one of the, um, the cool things about what Starling is going. The UK bank is going to continue, um, continue innovating, giving you great products which you can use, and continue expanding our offering. Um, but for, our, for me, it's global. We have global ambitions now. We have this technology that we can leverage and we can sell as a service. We can help not only UK SMEs but SMEs globally by helping their banks change their business models. Um, yeah, so for me, it's the sky's the limit. And what about personally? So particularly with some of the technologies, you know, are mm. you buying NFTs? <laughs> are you excited to get into the metaverse? Um, you know, what's the priority there for you? One we're still thinking about. It's still being defined. Um, but I think, I mean, there's not many hands here who said they weren't convinced that the metaverse was the right thing. I'm, I personally am probably still in that camp. I'm not sure it's going to take off. Okay. Um, and one last question for you. So on business plans. So we're going to, this is a kind of throw forward to the next panel. How much do you think, you know, there's a, there's a fine balance, isn't there, between having a, having a bit of a plan, <laughs> um, uh, but being flexible and making yes. sure that you can, as we all know from the last few years, who knows what's around the corner. Yeah. So how do you strike that balance? I think a business plan uh, serves a purpose. It lets you raise capital against it. It helps you plan and shape your thoughts about when you're going to become profitable, right? So, you know, before you even start a business, you need to think about, is your business model scalable? And actually, in the long run, after your loss-making years at the start, at the very least, you're going to have something which is sustainable. Um, and uh, uh, whilst they're useful and they serve a purpose, I'm in solidly in, solidly in the camp that you shouldn't be wedded to your business plan. Things can change and things can change rapidly. Um, prime example is COVID-19. Um, all of a sudden customers were taken out of your shops, of your places of business, and now um, you have to reimagine that business model. Now, I think there's certain KPIs and targets you should try to hit, but in my view, it doesn't matter how you hit them. If you have a target of being break-even, say, by two years or three years, and you hit it, and it's not exactly this way you expected to hit it, 
that's not a bad story. Mm-hmm. Well, I look forward to expanding on that with our <laughs> panel in just a second. Will you, will you stay around and join the panel um, to yep. hear their thoughts? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Right. Thank, Thank you, so you much. very much. Bye. <laughs>